Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. For $3 a month, just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. As well, you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts you can enjoy, Pucks and Cups, which releases every Sunday, and From John to Justin, which releases every Friday, available on all podcast platforms. Today, I'm speaking with Martin Parnell. He was a really interesting person to talk to. He holds numerous Guinness World Records for running. He's ran marathons every single day for weeks on end. And recently, he completed the film... The Secret Marathon. It tells the story of a woman who ran a marathon in Afghanistan, the first woman to ever do so. And it also follows his journey to Afghanistan along with director Kate McKenzie, who I will be talking to a week from today. It's a really interesting story. He was really interesting to talk to. So let's get right to it. I guess first question, after taking part in, in so many marathons, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in, I think, 21 hours. Was the run in Afghanistan uh, something that you were kind of the most apprehensive about? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Apprehensive for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, just even getting to Afghanistan was a, was a marathon unto itself, just getting the visa, the insurance. Uh, there were so many unknowns. Obviously, security, number mm -hmm. one, just, just totally concerned about what could happen. Uh, and I, you know, I try to do... The, the best I can with risk mitigation. You know, is this even feasible? Well, the year before a group of 10 international runners had gone. So in my world, it is feasible. But again, uh, going to a place like Afghanistan, you just don't know. And so, as I say, getting to the race itself was a major challenge, other than doing the marathon. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the run, uh, especially, was it especially significant for you because you had just recovered from the blood clot uh, in your brain? It was absolutely, it was the, probably the most significant marathon that I've done. Not, not in terms of, you know, trying to set a record or, you know, going to a certain location like Boston, but, but the reasons I went and, and I was literally, I think I was driven to go to Afghanistan to support the girls and women over there who, who run for freedom and equality. You know, as you mentioned, I was very sick. I had a massive clot on the brain back in early 2015. I was in recovery uh, for a number of months, almost a year. But it, in October 2015, my wife Sue showed me an article about the very first marathon in Afghanistan, which involved a young woman named Zanab. And when I read the challenges she faced, doing her training. For me, you know, when I'm out training, it's the weather, it's um, blisters, it might be hydration, nutrition. But for Zanab, it was uh, being called a prostitute as she ran and men throwing chunks of rock at her. And it's something that just hit me viscerally. I just thought, 
that is so unfair. You know, mm-hmm. why are they picking on women, not men, women, to stop them running? And it was like a switch went off. And I said to my wife, Sue, Sue, I'm, if I get better and if I can run again and run a marathon, I'm going to go over to Afghanistan and support the women and girls to run the next marathon. And one year later, I was on a plane to Kabul. <laughs> uh, and the, the screener that I watched, uh, a lot of it kind of focused on you and Kate getting ready to do the run. Uh, and one of the things that she had to prepare for was wearing the hijab uh, while, while she was running in, uh, in Alberta. So that's one preparation. What other things did you guys have to do to kind of prepare to, to not only run in, in such a different culture, but in such a different climate than like Calgary and Cochrane? Absolutely. Like the location of the marathon or Afghanistan is in a town named Bamiyan. And it's in the foothills of the Hindu Kush mountains. In fact, in some ways, it's quite similar to Cochrane. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's in the foothills uh, in Cochrane. I think we're about four and a half thousand feet elevation, but Bamiyan is 9,000 feet. And so one of the concerns was um, the altitude. I just didn't know how I would fare running between nine and ten and a half thousand feet and what i found is uh, when i was over there and did some training runs before the marathon is my my chest just tightened up that first 10 minutes i just almost couldn't continue like the tightness around the chest it did slowly uh improve but just running at that altitude was a was probably the major challenge yeah, I remember in the film, uh, you did you stood at the Highwood Pass, I believe, and you said that that was like the highest point that you could run in Canada, and Afghanistan was double that height. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, we you know we couldn't get higher than that. It's the uh, it's the highest paved pass in Canada, and it's it still wasn't close to where we we're going to Afghanistan. So so just imagine going to Afghanistan, going to the to to Bamiyan in the foothills of the Hindu Kush mountains, and there's all these other people who live there. And boys and girls, men and women who are, you know, who are running in that in that type of uh, situation. So, you know, huge credit to them. They're super resilient people. Uh, so one thing that was really interesting about the uh, learning about the documentary, uh, it kind of followed a, in a way kind of a gonzo journalism thing where you're making a documentary without letting anybody know you're making a documentary uh, because of the danger for the women in Afghanistan. Uh, was that the most difficult part or what was the most difficult part of filming without letting people know that you're filming? Yeah, well, that was that was a huge part of it because of the uh, potential security risk. Obviously, being in Afghanistan, even though we were up in the mountains, it's still a huge risk with the Taliban, you know, being around and potentially, uh, you know, having you know bombs and so on. Mm-hmm. So we we couldn't tell anyone that we were going to, first of all, even to run the marathon, and secondly, to make the film. And of course, what what that caused was um, getting funding for the film without being able to tell anybody we're going to do a film. Mm-hmm. And so we we had to. Uh, basically talk to family and friends and word of mouth to say, look, we want to do this. And fortunately, um, a, a company stepped up, a friend of mine, John Wilson, who is co-founder of uh, Viz Communications, a company in Calgary, uh, him and uh, um, his partner, James McKenzie, stood up and said, we are going to help you do this film. We're going to support the film. And through their uh, contributions, we brought a film crew over and we filmed it there, but it was all under the radar, Greg, mm-hmm. all under the radar. Uh, 
So when people talk about going to another country like Afghanistan or, or to Africa, what they'll often say is, you know, the government may be horrible, but the people themselves are very kind and often very generous. What did you take away personally from Afghanistan, from whether it was the country, the people, the, the culture? Well, a couple of things right off the bat. It is an incredibly beautiful country. Now, we didn't see a lot. We went to Kabul. And of course, there's, there's huge challenges in a place like Kabul with the security, with the huge concrete barriers, uh, with the police and the uh, army security there. Um, it's all there. But, you know, we visited things like the beautiful mosque, the Blue Tile Mosque, absolutely stunning. It's been there for, you know, centuries. Uh, but then we traveled up to Bamiyan and we went to the Bandamir National Park, the only national park in Afghanistan. And there there's uh, sapphire blue lakes, sandstone cliffs, beautiful trails, waterfalls. Um, that national park in any other place in the world would have thousands of visitors, you know, coming to it. Mm -hmm. But of course, being in Afghanistan, you just, you know, you just get a small handful. Uh, the other thing is the mountains, the Hindu Kush mountains are stunning. But re what really struck me was the people. And for example, at the Bandamia National Park, where there are these beautiful lakes, there's also a flotilla of uh, paddle boats, swan paddle boats. And on the weekends, the families come out and they have picnics and they, they just want to do what regular people do. And that's just have family time. We met so many people uh, throughout um, Barmian in the streets, in the stalls. They spoke excellent English and they're just so friendly. And it's just mm -hmm. such a difficult situation that they're in through no fault of their own that they just try and survive. Uh, in, the, in the screener, a lot of it is to do with... Uh the apprehension of people around you to what you're doing. Uh, was that pretty common? Uh, I know for both you and Kate, a lot of people were very worried about you going to Afghanistan. Yeah, huge ap apprehension about, first of all, going. Um, mm -hmm. No question about it. My wife, Sue, well, you know, was very concerned and rightly so. And all, all I could do, and I mentioned it earlier, was uh, try and mitigate the risk. So I signed mm -hmm. up with a group called Untamed Borders, and they do a phenomenal job in... Uh, having tours, group tours in countries like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and with uh, James Wilcox, who, who runs the organization, uh, they were phenomenal. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't have, I'm not a lone traveler. I wouldn't have gone on my own, mm -hmm. but I thought, you know, traveling with them, they got an excellent record. So I felt, you know, mitigating the risk. Yeah, let's do it. Once we were in Afghanistan, we were supported. One group is um, um, free, to, free to Run, a group that supports women and girls in conflict countries um, through sport, and they they supported us, and also with the with the, with the women we met, they were very supportive of what we were doing. We did have security as well on the on the marathon. Mm -hmm. We have the soldiers there, you know. So so it was you know we were covered. Nobody we didn't do anything outside of what we were told. We kept mm -hmm. a very low profile. And uh, I remember in the film, it was very shocking to hear that, you know, they could run on that road because it was free of landmines now. And that's just so, so far, like we, we, if you, if we run in Canada, we got to watch for traffic. You know, we don't think too much about the landmines underneath the pavement. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's not even a you know, consideration. You just run on the trail or run on a pathway or run on the road. And as you say, in Afghanistan, the, the biggest thing they would, they were completing while we were there they were, they were making Afghan landmine free. Um, there had been uh, um, security groups come and they had found basically all the landmines. They were just wrapping it up. 
and they marked the landmines by if it was still live, there'd be a red rock. And if it had been detonated, there'd be a white rock. And uh, basically, as you say, we were told, you stick to the road, do not go off the road. And that's what we did. Trust me, I didn't go off that road. I can imagine. Uh, one thing I really liked about the film was you did have to protect the identity of, of some of the women. And so you used animation to kind of tell their story without showing them. Do people in Canada tend to forget just how difficult life can be for, for women in places like Afghanistan to do something as simple as just running a marathon? Well, I think so. I think so, Craig. I mean, for me, it was it was a bit of a shock. I, I, when, when Sue showed me that newspaper article from The Guardian, and I read about Zanab, I, I didn't put two and two together. I, I, I think it, it opened my eyes to gender inequality in a very specific way. It's some, something I love to do is running. I take it for granted. I, you know, in the mornings I get up and I put my runners on and, and I'm out. I don't even think about all these other issues of security and persecution. And especially, and I'm an old white guy, you know, that's the way it is, um, <laughs> especially for women and girls. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just... To me, it's intolerable that they have to put up with this type of uh, persecution because of a gender. I, and so it really struck a chord with me. And I think, again, in, in, in our country, there are still issues. Don't get me wrong. And particularly with, with women running, maybe at night or, you know, in certain areas, it's still an issue. Mm -hmm. and, and let's not forget that. And so it's something that when I talk about the secret marathon, yes, I'm talking about Afghanistan, but also, for example, we have a, the secret 3K run where we also talk about inequality in our country. And that exists. Let's not pretend it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, was it, we talked a lot about the adjustment of going to Afghanistan to run. Was it an adjustment to come back uh, to Canada after running in Afghanistan to come back to Canada? Like you said, you don't go off the road in Afghanistan you have much more freedom where you want to run here. So was that kind of like you had to get back into the mindset of, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay running here. Yeah, it was, it was a really mixed emotion coming back from Afghanistan. I had run with Kubra and you saw in the film, mm -hmm. uh, Kubra's this young woman that I met who wanted to run a marathon, uh, but a bomb had exploded at her school and killed one of her friends. And so she couldn't train for a number of months and we decided to run together. And so running with Kubra and just, the joy she found in in doing her in doing her marathon, and the other story in the film, uh, uh, Craig, that, that you've watched, is the story of the family in the caves. This woman mm -hmm. is in a cave with her family, and the young girl had brain damage due to uh, an IED, uh, um, an individual explosive device that blew up near her and caused the brain damage. And when I came back from Canada, I, I almost felt I let them down. I almost felt like, well, I'm leaving. I can come back to to my world of a nice house and living in Cochrane and so on. And they're still in this living in this cave. This mother and five children have spent 12 years in a cave, living in a cave. And so I honestly, I had a bit of a guilt feeling. And so it was, it was, you know, mixed emotion, obviously very happy to come back, but the realization that I can come back, I can actually come away from this situation where these other people can't. So, and it still is difficult for me, to be honest, to reconcile that. Absolutely. Uh, so when people watch the documentary, what do you hope they get out of it uh, once they finished watching? Well, one thing is uh, I hope they see the amazing resilience of these women and girls and a passion that they want to do something as, as basic as running and what they will do 
to achieve that goal. And I just feel uh, these women and girls are an example to the rest of us. Don't get me wrong. We have m huge challenges mm -hmm. in our, in our you know, daily lives, obviously with COVID, with what's going on, it's, it's huge. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not making it small, those, those challenges. But then I think about the women and girls in Afghanistan who are number one, just trying to live, just trying to get by. But number two, when they want to do something like running, what they have to overcome and the strength that they have are, is an inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've, uh, you've done quite a bit. Uh, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. You've run a marathon a day for multiple days in a row. Uh, now that you did the Afghanistan, what's next? What's kind of on the horizon, the, the new challenge ahead for you? Well, we have this film, the film premiere is coming up of the, the worldwide premiere of the secret marathon film on January the 29th to 31st. So we're super excited about that. I'm working with film director, Kate McKenzie and Demand Films. This is gonna be a whole new project of delivering uh, films on a platform, but also having the availability of interviewing, interviewing guests and doing questions and answers. So that's gonna be super exciting having that uh, that kind of holistic whole package when it comes to um, a virtual cinema, as we're calling it. So that's mm -hmm. exciting. And that's coming up at the end of this month. Uh, we also have the Secret 3K Run, which is on March the 3rd, which is a virtual event all around the world. So again, we're going to be celebrating um, running and supporting women and girls uh, around the world, which is great. I have my The Secret Marathon book, which is, which is out. Mm -hmm. which I'm happy to share if anyone is interested in kind of the behind the scenes story. That's mm -hmm. kind of um, uh, um, super, super cool because in the book I have uh, six interviews. I have six chapters from the women and girls who ran in Afghanistan in their own words. So that's kind of an insight as to, you know, where they are. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's coming up for me uh, later on this year, actually the end of April is my next book, which is the ageless athletes. And, uh, that tells a story of me challenging myself um, with runs that I did 15 years ago and see if I can beat the time. So my next <laughs> challenge is, uh, you know, you know, can my, can my current <laughs> self beat my former self? So yeah, it's kind of an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not conquering a mountain this time, but conquering time. That's I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and then the last question is uh, just how can people find the film? How can they find out about you, uh, get in touch with you, learn more about uh, the things that you do or about the film? Sure. So if they want to go to uh, the secret marathon.com, the website, they can, they can check there and there is access to the, to the tickets there. And I think that's a, a super way of doing it. Or they can get hold of me, martinparnell.com and, and uh, see my website and there'll be availability there for tickets as well. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Martin Parnell. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can also visit my website where you'll find all my podcast episodes as well as hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can also find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. 
and I'm on Twitter, just go to Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. I'm also on Instagram, and you just have to look for Bairdo37. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.